Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Annie O'Leary will discuss cyber insurance facts for public entities. Annie is the Assistant Vice President, Cyber Insurance U.S. at Aon. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Annie. Thank you for having me. So what are some of the cyber risks that public entities face? There's quite a few. I think the main concern here is the amount of data that public entities have. There's lots of personally identifiable information as well as personal health information and records that have to be maintained for several years, if not decades, depending on state law. So not only that, There's also some risks in terms of hacktivism and things of that nature, which other commercial clients don't always have to face. And the third most important one, I would say, too, is the reliance on third-party vendors. We're seeing this across the board, not just public entities, but it's certainly a source of risk when a lot of processes have to be outsourced to those third parties. And those third parties may have access to your data or critical systems. And so that can certainly be a cause for risk. What type of insurance is available in the marketplace? There's quite a bit. It gets bucketed essentially between three different groupings. So the first is incident response. And so that's reimbursement for costs that you would take on for breach. So that includes privacy counsel, computer forensics, notification costs, call centers, credit monitoring, public relations, crisis management, all of that. It's breach-related response costs. The second is third-party liability, which is something for public entities is a little different because of sovereign immunity. However, in terms of what's generally available is there's third-party liability associated with a privacy loss as well as a network security incident, like sending a virus to one of, you know, a third party. There's also coverage for payment card loss. So the payment card industry, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, they all can issue fines and penalties if they have to reimburse their customers due to a breach of credit card information that was caused by you or a vendor that you're reliant upon. Additionally, there's also regulatory fines and penalties. So our healthcare clients and financial institution clients focus a lot on those as well. And though this isn't necessarily a cyber-related coverage, it's generally included in the policies because it's privacy-related, and that's media liability, which is coverage for content-based injuries like defamations, slander, things of that nature. If you have a website and you're producing content on it, there's immediate risk there. And lastly, there's other first-party costs that are really first-party coverages for costs that you take on related to a breach. Extortion is one that we hear a lot about. So that'll pay out for the extortion payment itself, as well as any access to experts to walk you through the process. One thing to note on the policies is they never require you to pay or not to pay. So it's, you know, they're really their part, your partner in that. There's also 
data restoration costs. So if a hacker gets into your system, destroys or depletes data in a way that it requires a third-party vendor to come in and restore that, there's coverage for that. And then lastly, there's business interruption-related coverages. So that would pay out for any loss of net income or extra expenses. And we have coverage now that's available not only as a result of a breach that happens to your network, but also if a breach happens to a third party that you're dependent on, their network, as well as a what we call system failure coverage and administrative error that could lead to a business interruption loss. What is the current state of the cyber insurance marketplace? It's pretty competitive. We have more than 75 different markets that we work with, all the way from the U.S., London, and Bermuda, depending on how big of a program we're putting together. It's competitive, and there's a lot of differences in terms of how industries are looked at. So for public entities in particular, a couple of years ago, it was much tougher to place coverage. However, there's more and more carriers in the marketplace. Therefore, increasing the competition regardless of the risk. And so we're having a much easier time placing coverage for public entities these days. How does sovereign immunity come into play? What's unique about public entities is the sovereign immunity question. So that third-party liability I referred to and you know, the coverage question makes it so that that doesn't really apply to public entities. However, one thing to note is sovereign immunity does not include reimbursement for costs that you would take on for a breach. So all of those breach costs in terms of legal counsel, computer forensics, all of that would not be included. And any of those first-party coverages like the business interruption, extortion, data restoration are also not included. So while it's a thing to make note of when we look at you know, placing coverage or reviewing renewals, it's something to come into play in terms of the overall risk profile, but it shouldn't go unknown that all those first-party costs are still not included under sovereign immunity. What are some of the challenges public entities face when purchasing cyber insurance? There's a few. So the first being, I would say, record retention. Oftentimes it's legally mandated and therefore lots of data has to be stored for longer periods of time, therefore just increasing the general risk by way of having access to more and more data. So that's a challenge that a lot of our public entity clients face. And so exercises in terms of trying to review data and determine if it's truly required to maintain can always help a risk profile. Another item is that public entities have limited resources. So unlike some private institutions, it's it's difficult when you have, you know, more limited IT budget and things of that nature. There's a lot of other items that taxpayer money goes to. So in order to allocate enough funds to information security and just system updates and upgrades, that can be tough. And in that same line, technology continues to evolve. So back to previous point where a lot more of us are relying on third-party vendors in order to operate there may be a brand new technology piece that would make functioning so much more effective. However, that could cause risk if it doesn't have the proper security measures in place in order to ensure that data or systems are secure. 
Another challenge is hacktivism. So again, this is something that's a little bit more unique to public entities, and it's a real risk where activists get in and they are hacking in the system in order to deliver a message. A couple others include that the application process itself can be quite burdensome. Cyber is unique in that it's not just risk management who needs to be involved as part of the process, but also IT security, legal is oftentimes involved. So it does take some time to come together and fill out an application and and possibly have an underwriting call. What are carriers looking for when underwriting to a risk? So when it comes to public entities, one of the biggest things that carriers look for is control. So with public entities, there's a lot of different key stakeholders at play. There's a lot of different departments and they don't always speak to each other. So they'll look for an individual or a group that has the capability of controlling the IT security environment, as well as just general privacy processes and ensuring that there's accountability and measures in place in the event that a breach happens. They'll also look and ask for the amount of data that you hold and what types of data. Are you taking card information? Are you taking just names and addresses? Or do you also have social security numbers and private health information? for example. They'll also look at, and as part of the application process, ask questions around what those IT security protocols are. So that's where we, you know, for the first time, if if you're a new buyer, IT security is filling out an application for insurance. So sometimes additional discussions have to be had to explain, this is why these questions are relevant and the types of events that are being covered. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.